We, we, have a, we, have a, we have a brown and white Springer Spaniel and you open our front door and he sort of leaps out of the house. And I'm a little bit like that, which is sort of... <laughs> a friend of mine said, um, Ollie, hanging around with you is a little bit like hanging around with a fire hydrant. And I said, is that a good thing or a bad thing? And he said, it's a little bit of both. But anyway, can you just tap your neighbor if you're next to one of them and just say, you are extraordinary. Just tap your neighbor and say, you are extraordinary. So... Um, a couple of things about Matt that you probably don't know here. So Matt is um, the world um, mini golf champion. Yeah, Matt's the world mini golf, uh, world, world, regional, national. I was the novice champion at the world championship. Come on, that's a pretty strong claim to fame. Uh, one, in one of our first meetings also, Matt introduced me to um, Biscoff-flavored milkshake at Five Guys. Who knew? I mean, that is amazing. When I was a young child and we went to France, Orangina. I was like, why did no one tell me about Orangina? It was like nectar from heaven. It doesn't quite taste the same in England. There's obviously something about doing it in France on holiday, but it was amazing. It was like a revelation. How has the world existed before Orangina or before Biscoff milkshake? Anyway, well done, Bay Church. This is great. You know, you're up and running, and it's exciting, and, um, uh, and well done to the team who've got everything so, where it's at so far. And you guys have got an amazing opportunity, really, to, to bless this whole Bay and this region and partner with all the other churches around here to help ordinary, everyday people come into this extraordinary, life-giving relationship with, 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 with God which is brilliant. I've titled this talk, um, Extraordinary Ordinary. Extraordinary Ordinary. I don't know about you, but I sort of think looking out on the world today, we live in this sort of very celebrity-driven culture, um, which for most of us, apart from Matt, is, is unattainable. You know, when, 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 we're never going to sort of arrive at that level. And actually, what's quite interesting, even if you did arrive at that level, when you really look at it, and if you read some of the, you know, if you ever see the, some of our papers, you realize that actually, it's not all that it's cut out to be, or, or it, does, it, it doesn't deliver everything that people might think that it wants to deliver. Whereas actually, an extraordinary life is available to you and me in the ordinariness of our everyday lives. That, that, that's the real invitation that God, that God offers us, that our, that our faith offers something far better um, than anything that the, the world might offer of whatever, whatever level you make it. My training vicar, who um, uh, Matt mentioned, a lovely man called um, Sandy Miller, and um, Sandy was like sort of Papa Smurf filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, beautiful man. Whenever he looked at you, you felt that he was looking right into you. He had these, he's got these piercing blue eyes, and whenever he looks at you, it, it feels as if he can see right through into your soul. And, um, and in mine, sort of, it's a bit like sort of an old canal. There's sort of shopping trolleys in there and plastic bags. But he sort of sees beyond that to your potential. And it sort of brings that out of you. I, I imagine it's, it's a little bit like the way Jesus would have looked at people, could see everything about them and yet loves them and sees beyond that to their potential and brings that out of them, makes you want to be. And Sandy always used to tell the story about the crisis at the Edinburgh Zoo. Have you told them this story before? Crisis at the Edinburgh Zoo. So the Edinburgh Zoo, they, had, they were coming up to their big bank holiday week so it's big, you know, lots of crowds, everything like that. And their main attraction, the gorilla, sadly died. 
And they didn't have enough time to get in another gorilla from somewhere else. And this is, this is going to be a nightmare. The gorilla's gone. So they said, well, we're going to have to get someone to dress up as a gorilla and just to do their best attempts. So they managed to, they employed someone to dress up as a gorilla. And the guy was doing really well. He had had a little bit of practice. And then on the day, people started pouring into the zoo. And our friend, the gorilla man, he was doing quite well. And he was really enjoying it. And then he got a little bit cocky on one of his swings. And he ended up swinging up and over into the next door enclosure, which happened to be the lion's enclosure. And when he'd come to, he sort of looked up and he noticed the lion looked up and looked at him. And he was like, oh my goodness. And the lion uh, nonchalantly got up and then started padding its way over to our friend, who started understandably going from inside his suit, help, help. And the lion sped up quite quickly and, and, and he heard this rather furry voice whispering into his ear uh, firmly, shut up or we'll both lose our jobs. Interestingly, so one of the questions is, what, what makes a gorilla or a lion? Or more importantly, what makes a Christian? Is it what's on the outside or what's on the inside? We live in a very outside-driven culture, and yet Jesus is interested in what's going on on the inside of you and me, how we can become extraordinary people, even in our ordinariness, that we don't have to be putting on any fronts. And today, I'm a very good Anglican. I'm becoming a better Anglican as I get older. And I've been a priest in the Church of England for about 15 years now. And, um, and I'm sort of warming to the theme. And the, the lectionary reading, so you probably know there's a rhythm of readings called the lectionary. It's actually hundreds of years old. And there'll be churches reading these same readings all around the world. And there's something quite nice about that as we're here. There's other churches all around the world, all dialing into the same, same scripture. And we're going to read um, the, the epistle for today, which is um, St. Paul's letter to the Galatians, um, chapter 5, the first verse, and then picking up at 13 to 25. So we'll read this. It should come up on the, on, on the screen. St. Paul said this. So this ragtag bunch of Christians, a little bit like you and me, working out how do we do this way of faith and life in the world with all the pressures and stresses and strains. And St. Paul reminds them of a few truths about their extraordinary, ordinary identity in Christ. He says this, it is for freedom. Tap your neighbor and say, you're free. Just elbow them to say, you're free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And then verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. I feel so rebuked there already. About 10 o'clock at night, something happens to me. I hear the fridge calling. And it's saying, cheese, I long for you. Cheese. I go and open it. It's terrible. Anyway, sorry, digressing. The spirit, what is contrary to the flesh, that, by the way, eating cheese is a godly thing, don't worry. They're in conflict with each other so that, you're not to, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like, not including cheese eating. I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there's no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let's pray together. Just close your eyes for a moment. And even as you breathe in oxygen this morning, just breathe in something of the presence, uh, the breath of God, the love of God. Lord, we come to you today and we pray that you would um, help us either for the first time or afresh to enter into uh, this extraordinary life in relationship with you. Speak to us, Lord. Encourage us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm not going to tell you how many points I have because I, I forgot to ask Matt the time, but we'll see how we, how we get on. And if any of you glaze over, then I'll, then I'll cut it there and say, that's how many points I was going to do. St. Paul says this extraordinary, ordinary life. He wants to encourage them. He says, first of all, be free. Be free. Galatians 5.1, he says this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. When our kids were born, so I've got an older girl, Hannah, who's 10, and a younger one, Tabitha, who's eight. And we were given by one of their godfather, by Hannah's godfather, actually, a beautiful book by a guy called Max Licado. And the book is called You Are Special. And it tells the story of um, the Wemmicks, who are these wooden um, uh, characters who live in a place called Wemmicksville. And all day long, all they do is they go around putting stars or dots on each other. If they look good or they can jump high or they can achieve great things, they get lots of stars. And if they're not so good and don't do such good things, they get dots on them. And that's all they do their whole life, stars and dots, stars and dots. And there's this one Wemmick called Punkinello. I think we've got a picture of Punkinello. And Punkinello, he doesn't look that great and he isn't able to do that much, so he gets dots. And other people then put other dots on him because he's got dots on him. And the poor chap, he ends up feeling rather gloomy about himself because he's just down and depressed. Um, because he just gets dots all day. But then one day he meets this extraordinary girl called Lucia. And Lucia has no stars on her and no dots on her. And Punkinello says, what's going on with you? You've got no stars and no dots. And she said, well, sometimes people put stars on me for different things that they think I'm great at or whatever, but I'm not too fussed about them and the stars fall off. So other people put dots on me because I haven't got any stars on me, but I'm not too fussed about them either and they fall off. And he's like, how do you manage to do that? And she says, well, I just go and see Eli every day. And Punkinello's like, who is Eli? Don't you know? And she says, don't you know Eli? E Eli's the woodcarver who lives at the top of the village above the hill, above the village. And um, Punkinello, uh, he, he, he's like, well, would Eli want to see me? And she's like, yeah, I'm sure he'd want to see you. Um, of, course, of course he does. So there's a picture in, in the book of, of Punkinello sitting, looking rather gloomy on his bed one night, wondering whether Eli would want to see him. And then finally, he musters the confidence to go and see Eli, and he potters up to the top of the hill, and it, where there's this big house, which he's never noticed before. And um, he peers in through the door, which is open, and then, he get, and then he gets cold feet and walks away. And then he hears this voice, this warm voice, saying to him, Punkinello, Punkinello. And he turns around, and he sees this carver there, Eli the carver. And Eli picks him up and uh, says, oh my goodness, you've been getting into a little bit of trouble as he looks at the dots on him. And, and Punkinello begins to apologize. He said, I do try. And he said, don't worry, I'm joking. He says, I don't mind what those other Wemmicks think about you. I think you're special because I carved you, I created you. And I tell you what, I want you to come up here every day and for me to tell you how special and loved you are. And the final scene in the book is Punkinello leaving the workshop. And as he dares to believe that Eli's words are true, one of the dots falls off him. 
You and me are called to live in freedom in Christ. Uh, We're special. You are special. Whatever anyone else says about us, whatever the world would want to be forcing us into, one of the arts of the Christian life is to dare to believe that we are free in Christ, that we are beautiful, that we're special, that we're loved, that God has created us for a purpose to bring some of the color and life of God into the world in an us-shaped and a Christ-shaped sort of way. And it's difficult for us to do that, particularly in such a social media-driven world where we're being told how you should parent, how you should work, what you should be, what the claims are. And St. Paul was wanting to try and remember the ch- remind the church in Galatia all those years ago. They didn't have social media, but they still had the same pressures of conformity and what we should be like. That in Christ, you and me are free. Free from the past, whatever has defined us there in Christ, set free. Free from sin, And when you sin, we all sin. That's that's life. We all make mistakes, but being quick to get up, knowing that in Christ we're free, that we're cleansed, we're forgiven, new day, fresh starts, fresh beginnings. Free in our identity, focusing more on who we are in Christ rather than trying to conform to whatever anyone else might think about us. In fact, I've started trying to do this on social media now. You know, I'm often thinking, goodness, what should I be posting or whatever, which is such a stupid thing to think about. What, what do I want to post? What, who do I think God is calling me to be? Because that will bring color and life and authenticity into the world rather than worrying whatever anyone else. And, and I'm really into my, maybe it's because I'm 47 now approaching the, my 50s. And, and I love flowers. I'm really into my flowers. And, and that's all I post on social media now is just flowers really and trees. And, um, but it's beautiful. And interesting, you know, my daughter came into, um, I was brushing my teeth this morning. My daughter came and said, Daddy, and I, my desk is full of nature now. I have little pine cones and feathers. I found a tawny owl feather the other day and it's on my desk now. My whole, it's becoming like a forest, my bedroom and uh, my desk. And my daughter took one. She said, Daddy, I hope you don't mind. I've taken one of your, your pine cones. She came in and was brushing my teeth this morning. She said, Daddy, look at this. And she had tacked out of the pine cone the beautiful little seeds. And each little seed has a little um, um, wing on it. And, and, and then it, so it can fall down to the ground. So it's interesting that as I am becoming more of myself in Christ and allowing some of the interest that he's putting into my heart to blossom and show forth, it is influencing the life of my kids. Now they're interested more in nature and the natural world and things. You and me are free. And maybe this week we can somehow try and push against some of the things that want us to conform us into its world and instead allow the Spirit of God to be transforming us Uh, becoming uh, people of the Spirit, free people, and helping other people into their freedom as well, celebrating the things that we love and like, the little um, light of Christ that we get to see in other people, whatever it might be, their fashion, whatever it is, encouraging them into their freedom. Point two, be free, be loving, be loving. Galatians 5.14, he says this, the entire law, that's everything that's ever been written about God and how we should behave, blah, 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 all these different things, all the doctrines, everything like that. The entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. St. Paul distills all theology, echoing the words of Jesus himself, that if you could distill it all down into one thing, Jesus adds one thing before that, and St. Paul would agree, of course, love God, but then love others. And actually, if we're to be famous for anything as Christians, if Bay Church is to be famous for anything, famous for our love, just extraordinary love between each other and the world around us. 
Did you know that Christianity primarily spread not, spread, not so much because of the signs and the wonders of miracles of which there were many, but because of the love that Christians displayed to each other and particularly the world around them. They were caring for the sick and the marginalized and the lost. And people were like, that is extraordinary. There is no way you could do that unless you were empowered by an extraordinary God of love serving those around us. I found as I, I love my running. I try and run um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and not much gets in my diary lunchtime. If I if I don't do it, I get a bit. Even my team's like, you need to go running, please go running. And um, uh, so so I go running. And when I'm running, um, when I was in London, I was running around, and then I noticed other people's um, uh, dogs poo. Sorry, we're going to get sort of right down low now. And um, and and I would sort of I ran around the park. We had this park, and it was just a big square. And I ran around. I was like, goodness me, can't people pick up their dog poo? And then as I ran around the next leg, I sensed a little voice. I think it was the voice of God saying, well, why don't you pick it up? And so I had this conversation, well, it's not my dog's poo, it's their dog's poo. Why should I pick it up? And then they're like, well, why not? If it bothers you so much, do something about it. It wasn't that accusatory, actually. It was quite loving. It was encouraging. God's voice is always loving and encouraging. So the next time I came around, and, and, and I was like, well, well, and he's like, well, you've got poo bags in your pocket. And I'm like, okay. So the next time I came around, I was like rather grumpily bent down to pick up someone else's dog poo with my poo bags and put it in the bin. But actually it felt quite liberating. I felt, I felt yeah, I'm picking up, I'm the sort of guy who picks up other people's dog's poo. But actually, isn't that great, you know? Why, why wait for the council to do these things? Why, why can't we start doing these things? Why can't we be the sorts of people who are loving our neighbors as ourselves and clearing up some of the dog poo and it's just the other messes that are all around in our society and in our own lives, not expecting someone else to do it, but becoming part of the solution ourselves. And I was practicing my little talk in my head yesterday when I went out for a walk in our local park and I was thinking, oh yeah, I'll be on the, do the dog poo story. That's a good story. And, I, and then I saw a tree. I'm into trees at the moment. In fact, I found a Bible verse for it. I love proof texts. Um, uh, in the Bible, do you know why trees were created according to the Bible? Genesis 2.9, it says this, that the Lord God caused trees of the earth to grow up. up. Why? Uh, one, so that they'd be good for food, you know, apples and cherries, things like that. The second one, pleasing to the eye. Isn't that extraordinary that God created trees for food, but also that they might sort of do something in it? So I've started noticing trees. In fact, I've done a bit of tree hugging as well. I know. I'm sorry, but I was in the park once, and I walked past, and I saw this beautiful tree, and I thought about tree hugging, and I mocked it initially, and I was like, well, don't knock it till you've tried it. So I checked that it was all clear, and I sidled up to this rather attractive cherry tree, checked no one was looking, and just sort of leant in for a little hug, and then... And it was beautiful, actually. The stature of the tree, it, it, it did a wonderful, wonderful thing. Anyway, yesterday I was out and I noticed some nice trees, so I, I'm into my trees. So I walked up to it and I noticed someone had had a little sort of um, drinks night there the night before. And I tutted. I was like, cans, crisp packets, can't they throw them away? And, and I sensed a little voice in my ear saying, well, why don't you do something? And I'm like, I don't clear out cans. I do dog poo. I don't do cans. And I walked away and I just felt convicted. I was like, you can do, if you can do dog poo, you can do cans. So I went back and cleared up that little celebration, put it in the bin, and I felt good. I felt better. Because we're the sort of people who are called to be loving, to make a difference in the, in the world around us. What would it look like for you and me? What would it look like for Bay Church to be famous above all other things, not so much for our doctrine and whether we're right or we're wrong, but famous for our love? 
how we serve our spouses, how we care for our kids, how we bless people in our workplaces, how we clean up in our student accommodation and do the washing up for other people, how we uh, serve. We've just done a serve day where we were just gardening and clearing. And it's, it's so good when we do these things. And sometimes you need catalysts like serve days where we remind ourselves on here that actually Every single person in Bay Church would be on whatever you call them, Bay Teams or something. I don't know, something like that. That everyone, and they wouldn't go, that actually you'd own that team. That if you're on the kids team, you're like, this is actually, Molly runs it and whoever else runs it and things like that. But actually, no, I run it. I'm going to serve with all of my heart because I'm the sort of person who's been filled with the love of God so that I love others. And, and, and in our homes and our, and, our, and our workplaces, we're called to be free people, loving people. Third point. There's about 10 more to go. Third point, uh, be empowered. Can you elbow your other neighbor and say, you need, you need power. You need power. Yeah. I got the power. <clears throat> be empowered. St. Paul said, verse, verse um, 5, 16, he says this. So I say, live by the Spirit. And then verse 25, he says it again. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Christianity, the Christian faith, is a, is a wind-powered faith. We need power. We need the power and the presence of God. You, you, you can't be free and you can't really love without the power of God empowering you. I, I love etymology, root meanings of words. Uh, enthusiasm. I'm quite an enthusiastic guy. But actually, I love the fact of discovering that enthusiasm is a God word. It's from the Greek, entheos, in God, God in us. You don't have to sort of drum it up. You call him down to fill us, to entheos us, to enthuse us. The word inspiration, it's from the Latin, inspirare. You know what it is to expire? My wife, we, we often have, you know, best before dates. She's, I'm, I'm, I'm quite strict and I'm not eating that, darling. She's like, it's only a month old. I'm like, well, you have it then. Uh, you know what it's like to expire, to inspire, to breathe in. It's the breath. Uh, of God, and we all need that. Down in Plymouth, and I think you have it here as well, but in Plymouth, um, in, the, in the harbor area, every now and then we get these beautiful old tall ships coming in. And um, I think we've got a photograph of one of them. Um, they're, they're, they're absolutely, I love these tall ships. In fact, some of the old war galleons, they would need around 600 people to sail these things, everyone with a thing. And what's lovely about the galleon is they get the sails up, and then the wind blows, and then the thing begins to, to move along. And all of us in our daily lives, we need to sort of put up the sail of our soul and allow the breath of God, the wind of God, to fill us, to empower us, to sort of move us forward in life, to help us to be people who love and forgive and serve and bless and work and do all those things that God wants us to do. And what I love about this is it's a picture also, of course, of the, of the church. Actually, everyone with the world, it required 600 people to sail these things, all in their right place, all holding on to a, to a main sheet or something, with allowing the wind of God um, to blow them along. And for you here, some of that will be on your Sunday, and I know this morning we'll grow in prayer a little bit, helping to create a culture and environment where it's really normal to pray and be prayed for and experience the wind of God, the breath of God filling us again. In our devotional times, I try to have little sort of devotional time every morning. I call it sacred space. Some people sort of call it quiet times. Don't get all legalistic about it, but just find a little time where we can sort of um, put, put the sail of our soul up and allow God's wind to fill us. I literally find it helpful actually to get out on the coast. Sometimes God's spirit fills me through that. Uh, God's filling me through nature and hugging trees at the moment and that sort of thing as well. Finding what does it to you to keep your soul. And some of you this morning, you'll be a bit deflated. 
And actually, as you meet and we gather, and in a moment as we pray, God is going to inflate you, infill you afresh. Some of you, it'll be like a little bit of a picture. You remember when Jesus meets the woman at the well, and he asked for a drink of water because he was physically thirsty, and he recognized that she was spiritually thirsty. And there's this beautiful encounter that happens where the sort of the spiritual well of her soul is filled. And it, and, and it says in the Bible that actually we'll have this spring of water welling up, not just for us, but to then begin to spill out of us to bring refreshment into parched souls um, around us. And then tuning into the Spirit of God, hearing what he might say in us and through us into the lives of others. Be free, be loving, be empowered. And finally, am I right to go with last point? Last point. Uh, be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. Galatians 5.22, um, St. Paul says this, the fruit of the Spirit, as we grow in understanding ourselves to be free, as we grow in loving people, as we grow in being empowered, St. Paul says you'll become a little bit like Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He's painting a picture there, really, of, uh, in, in human form of, of, of Jesus, of God. It's the best image we get of what God's like. The best image we get of what the fulfillment of this fruit of the Spirit is like is in the person of Jesus. If you're not getting a little bit more patient and a little bit more kind in your faith, if you're only like me, I've still got a long way to go. But if you haven't noticed a few little things, then it might not be Jesus you're following. Because if we follow Jesus, we'll be becoming a little bit more like these things. Just as I come into land, I heard a story about a lady called Mary. And... Um, uh, sorry, I heard, a, I heard a story about a lady who goes to her local Catholic church, and she found the priest, and she said to the priest, she said, um, Father, can you tell me how I can become a lapsed Catholic? And the priest was a little bit confused. He said, sorry, you'll have to, have to unpack that for me a little bit more. And, and, and he said, well, there's a lady in our street called Mary, and Mary is the loveliest person you could ever meet. You know, if you're going through a difficulty, Mary will sit down and have a cup of tea with you and console you and encourage you and pray with you. Uh, if you're grieving uh, the loss of a family member, Mary's there to comfort. And if you're, a, if you're a, um, a family and you've got a new little baby, Mary will be there on your front door, just knocking with a, with a smile and a macaroni cheese for you to stick in the oven. And I asked Mary one day, I said, Mary, what are you? Because I want to become a little bit more like you are. And Mary looked a little bit, she said, oh, no, no, I, I'm, I'm just a lapsed Catholic. So here I am, I'd love to become a lapsed Catholic. There was nothing lapsed about Mary at all. Mary was beginning to display some of those things that St. Paul was encouraging the church in Galatia to be reminded of. Mary was someone free, free, free to be herself in Christ. Mary was displaying the immense love of God. Mary was clearly an empowered woman. I can imagine Mary was having lovely little times of prayer, probably hugging a tree or two, connecting with God, enabling the love of God to fill her soul so that she could then pour out that love on other people. Mary was probably the closest thing you and me are going to get to Jesus in human form. And the invitation is that all of us can become uh, a little bit like Mary, or more importantly, a little bit more like Jesus. Do you want to stand?